How's everybody tonight? Living a dream, are you? <laughs> Somebody's dream? So tonight we're going to begin a little book uh, called the Book of Lamentations. Um, Lamentations, to lament in English, is to cry, uh, but the Hebrew word just means how. Uh, it's a book uh, all about uh, grieving, how, how to grieve. Uh, and it has no, um, no language within it where God rebukes the grief. Uh, but the grief is allowed to be expressed. Five chapters. Four of those chapters have 22 verses. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So each chapter is an acrostic, except for chapter 5. Chapter 5 is, in some ways, the culmination of the grief. We'll talk about that a little more when we get there. Chapter 5 abandons the acrostic. Chapter 5 uh, is just chapter 5. 1, 2, 3, and 4 all fall on acrostic, but only 1, 2, 4, and 5 have 22 verses. Chapter 3 has three times that, 66 verses. It is still an acrostic. But now the acrostic is going to flow along each verse of the stanza. Three verses per stanza. So each one of those verses is going to be following that same acrostic. Each one. Now as the, the author, who I believe to be Jeremiah. The, the book doesn't say uh, this is the book of Lamentations written by Jeremiah. So it makes uh, identification a little more uh, problematic. However, certainly Jeremiah is the guy on the scene, right, when Jerusalem falls. And we know that Jeremiah was familiar with um, dirge, the dirge. You remember when we first talked about Jeremiah, and I told you about his father, uh, the father of Jeremiah, Possibly being the one who discovered the scroll of the of the Bible that led to Josiah's revival, you remember, um, and the fact that Josiah and Jeremiah were contemporaries, they knew one another, they were both young, and that when Josiah died, Jeremiah sang at his funeral, and what he would have sung is a lamentation. Uh, dirge poetry. The idea of a communal word from, from, the, from the people displaying their grief, their sorrow, their sadness. It was in, a, in an ancient Near Eastern culture. They're not like us. You know, or they're not like some of us. They, they don't bottle things up. They don't, they're very expressive. So you expressed your mourning. You didn't just hide it. It was something that was expressed. And so there are many things that would come out of this type of poetry, you know, and in particular, out of Lamentations. Lamentations is a book that is for, uh, I, I created a word, the lamentator. <laughs> the lamentator benefits from Lamentations. And so there are things that, that we will see. The, the idea that the wickedness of the people will eventually result in the disintegration of the society. And that's going to be something that is going to be brought out uh, in the lamentation. That we should never take God's past blessing as assurance of continued future blessing. Right? There is a sense in which God's people are to walk with God. There, there's, there's not no guarantee that, hey, I'll bless you no matter what you do. Our nation and our churches are subject to God's judgment when they are no longer faithful. This will come out 
the lamentation, the, the grief process. God always fulfills his word. And though many solutions for human suffering have been proposed, ultimately the only real way to deal with it is through a deep and abiding faith in God. Lamentations like Job is going to give you no answers to the question. Job is going to ask the question over and over again. Why, 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 why? But Job's not going to receive the answers. Job teaches us, just like Lamentations, that the only place where there is hope is in God. He does not always provide us with the answers. And we always ask the questions, don't we? I mean, if there's been no shortage of grief over Christmas just in our communities, right? And the weeks leading up to that, there are several people who are suffering through horrific circumstances and they all ask the same question, don't they? Why? You got an answer? I don't. But grieving is okay. Just as Job, when Job grieves, God, at the end of the book of Job, he doesn't come to Job and say, you know, Job, you went over the line here a few times. Read the book. What God says to Job's friends is, you guys went over the line, and you better hope Job will pray for you. Or whatever happened to Job is going to happen to you. So there's a sense in which those who were self-righteous and judgmental toward Job and his suffering, when Job went into the middle and all his weeping, he goes to the middle, puts on sackcloth, dumps ash on his head, and just cries out to God. Job is never rebuked to cry out to God in his pain. Never. Job's friends, on the other hand, and that should teach us something about how to minister to those who are grieving. No? One of the most important lessons I've ever learned is you don't have to have an answer to the questions. The Bible says, mourn with he who mourns. Rejoice with him who rejoices. You don't have to have answers. Last I checked, none of us qualify as God. Right? And unless you've received some special revelation, and you better be careful. <laughs> if you receive special revelation, then we're going to want to... We'll want to talk about that. So these are some of the things that we can pull from. It's a, a, a book of deep sorrow. Deep, deep sorrow. Now the structure of the book, five chapters, the middle chapter is three times longer than all the other chapters. In itself, everything in the book is pointing to chapter three. Chapter three is the closest thing to an answer that we're going to find in the book of Lamentations. And the answer in chapter three is... In the midst of the storm, God is always faithful. <clears throat> Lamentations 3, 21 through 24 says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. That's the hope. That's the center of the book, right? The, the, everything pointing to chapter 3. Lamentations accomplishes something for the lamenter, though. Lamentations gives the lamenter a voice of protest at the destruction of and suffering wrought from sin. Why is there pain on earth? Why is there suffering? Because mankind is in a fallen state. 
That's the short answer. Because sin is running rampant in, on earth. And so all pain finds its ultimate source and ultimate answer in the reality that sin is a part of our experience. And so a lamentation gives voice to the protest, the pain and suffering. No rebuke for that. There's no rebuke for that. It gives us a way to process overwhelming emotion in regard to pain and suffering. You don't have to correct. God's big. I had a father in my office this week who said to me, you know, just to be honest, I'm really mad at God. God doesn't need me to defend him on that. I'm talking to a father whose whole world is wrecked. He gets to feel how he feels. The lamentation gives voice to that overwhelming emotion and it gives a place for voice in confusion. I don't understand what's going on. That's why the Hebrew people call it how. How'd this happen? That's all it is. A very simple word. The, the English word is lament, to cry, to cry out. And this is what this is all about. In Scripture, it is never condemned. The goal of lamentations, and our goal in looking at it, is to provide sacred dignity to human suffering. There ought to be away and so this is what's happening i want to as the last thing in introducing lamentations despair is real and the book of lamentations ends by proclaiming the reality of despair that's not new in the bible right there's several psalms that discuss uh despair several prophets who despair this is not new this is the Bible doesn't try to pretend. Somewhere we developed an idea in, in Christianese that nobody's allowed to despair no more. But the problem is despair is a real human emotion and a part of life on this broken rock. And rather than trying to ignore it, right, God gives it a voice. Lamentations. Chapter 5. Verse 19 through 22. This is how the book closes. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we might be restored. Renew our days as of old. Unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. That's the last words. Not a denial of who God is, but rather a, a call out to God. You know, you're, you're in charge, Lord. You rule, you reign. I hope you will restore us unless we have been rejected forever. That's the real feeling within the ones who lament, right? Crying out to God. Now, as we begin tonight, we're going to look at the desolation of Jerusalem in chapter 1. And one of the things, these, this is all poetry, okay? So <laughs> we're not going to really be pushing the literalism of the, of the words. We want to focus on what is the author, what is the poet trying to get across. And in the first one, the desolation of Jerusalem, the, the desolate Jerusalem, the city of God, is called Lady Zion. And she is described as a woman who is crying out, who has lost everything, and there's no comforters around for her. So this is the way the poet is describing, right, the broken city, the city who was the city of God, right, and now is that, that broken and rejected city. And so this is the picture 
that the poet is painting through words. And again, each one, another letter of the alphabet. 22 verses, 22 letters in chapter 1. So he begins, How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She who was great among the nations, she who was a princess among the provinces, has become a slave. So there's going to be all of this comparison and contrast, right? Here's what she was, here's what she is. Here's how it used to be, this is how it has become. And there are a lot of people who, through their experience in life, uh, on earth are going to have similar feelings, right? We know for them, this was part of a judgment of God that came upon a nation. But there were individual people in that nation who suffered tremendously, right? There was just the normal people. Now, the, Granted, the normal people had the witness of Jeremiah, right? Calling the people to repentance, calling the people to change, But at the end of the day, when nations crumble, you know, the leaders, they're going to face the judgment they face. But the pain is felt by everyone. No. Every child. Everyone. So here, Jeremiah describing the nation saying, wow, the the city that was once so full is now empty. Remember, the final destruction, the final exile, you know, you had... Three it was with with uh, with Jerusalem is three strikes and you're out, right? So the third the third invasion is the final one, destruction, and we even see one more little rebellion after that, right? Remember the the people kill the guy that uh, uh, Nebuzaradan set up to to just rule over the exiles, the only people who were left. So ultimately they they killed him and his family and all the people that were with him. So all you have left is this tiny fraction of people who scatter for Egypt. So what's left in the city? Really, not much. Bunch of rubble, few people, perhaps, here and there. She who was once a princess has become a slave. This is the picture that he's painting The desolation of Jerusalem. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. So this is the picture. Lady Lady Zion. uh, A description of the city of Jerusalem as a woman who who is just weeping in, in a broken down city with nobody left. Nobody around her. This is the picture that is being painted. Her cheeks are filled with tears. All her lovers, all those who she thought were going to be there for her, have abandoned her. She's alone. Uh, She has no one to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. So isn't, isn't that kind of how sin runs rampant in people's lives anyway? All our friends, all the people we thought were with us, now they are against us. They weren't really our friends. They are a part of the destruction. And the desolation that has occurred, they have become her enemies. Verse 3, Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no rest. There's no resting place. Why? Where was her rest? What did Jesus say when he came? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. The people, the nation of Israel, sought their rest in the Sabbath, right? When Jesus came, what did he say? I am your Sabbath. I'm your rest. I'm the answer that you, to the questions you're asking. Most of the time, the questions we're asking are the wrong questions anyway, and we wouldn't like any of the answers that we got from any of those questions. The answer that the Lord gives us over and over and over again is Jesus. To the cries of the anguished, Jesus. He says, I'm your rest. I'm your, I'm your comfort. 
No one else will comfort you, but I'm here. The Lord is the only one that is left. Judah has gone the servant to. She's dwelling with the nations, but there is no rest for her. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. Now the picture is Jerusalem as a woman running away from those who are conquering her, but she can't outrun them. You have those dreams? You ever have a dream where somebody's chasing you and you can't get away? Or you can't move at all? And they, you feel the impending doom coming? That's what the poet is describing. This is the doom of Jerusalem. A city, but he's describing that city, right? With real emotion of a woman trying to escape. But she can't escape. She's overtaken in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn. For none none come to the festival. Just outside of of, uh, Golgotha in Israel today, just outside of of Golgotha, Golgotha was the stone quarry. So it was natural for for the Romans to take Jesus to the place of execution. The place of execution for the Jews, how did they kill people? Well, they stoned them. So where did they take Jesus to crucify him? To the stone quarry. Why do they call it the place of the skull? Because when they were cutting out stones from the rock for the building and things that were going on, they created in that quarry a hill that looked like a skull. People still look for it today. I I don't know that it's there. If you've been to Israel, they've shown it to you, so... If that, if that works for you, works for me. I don't want to argue. So they would take Jesus to this place. Just beside that place that was the quarry, there was a cave. Tradition calls it the Grotto of Jeremiah. The cave where he watched outside the city, the destruction. And as he looked over and as he poetically writes this, funeral song this dirge for the city he makes this notice the city should be full of people celebrating there was always a feast coming one feast or another but he says it's a time of festival but there's no there's no joy where are the where are the party goers? Where are those who have come? The gates are empty. There's nobody here. There's nobody on the streets. There's no rejoicing. You know, for some people, the season we have just come from becomes like that. There are some things that happen at times of the year you'd like to say, you know, in a perfect world, none of that would happen. No one would ever die at Christmas time. But they always do. People, it, it's, remember we live in a fallen, broken world. This is, this is not heaven. It's not intended to be. All the time we realize, looking around us, that this place does not satisfy. There must be something better, right? Greater. That's what the cry of every heart. Authors will run around and write one of two types of books. They'll write utopian books about how society becomes perfect, or they'll write dystopian books about how society continues to get worse. Each type of book is calling out to the same thing. There's got to be more than this, which says there is a need in a human heart, that the human heart recognizes whether you do or not. The human heart says there's something else that this isn't. There should be joy at certain times of the year, right? But some people can't get the joy because they've experienced so much pain during that time of year that that's what they're left with. Jeremiah is saying the same thing as he looks over the city. This is a time of year when there should be rejoicing, but there's no joy. There's no people left. Everything's gone. Jerusalem is is desolate. The gates are empty. Her priests groan. Her virgins or young women have been afflicted. She herself suffers bitterly. 
Lady Zion, this woman described by Jeremiah in the poem, weeping over her own destruction, her own demise. Verse 5, her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away captives before the foe. So Lady Zion, (laughs) the city weeping. Why? Because the foes have conquered. Why have they conquered? Because the Lord has decreed. God has afflicted. Payday someday, right? We cannot walk eternally in sin and expect nothing to happen. Usually what happens in our life is we... We start flirting with sin, and as we flirt with it, we go, ah, I didn't get struck with lightning. Nothing bad happened. And so you give yourself wholly to sin. And sin brings joy for a season. But eventually, what the Bible declares is true. The wages of sin is death. Not God supernaturally going, I'm going to throw a lightning bolt and zap you because of the choices you made, but the choices you make lead to destruction. The choices Israel made, the Jerusalem made in their rebellion against God brought them on the radar of Babylon. When the Babylonian emissaries came to Jerusalem and the king was full of pride and he walked them around and he showed them the temple. You remember? We studied it. The Lord said, what have you done? They're going to come back and take all the things you've shown them. Because you think that's your friend. But they're not. That destruction will come. They will come and, and take that place. Her foes have taken her because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgression. The reality is what scripture teaches us is God God withholds judgment. He holds back the flood from our choices and decisions. He holds it back. But nobody goes, you know what, Lord, thank you that you held that back for 490 years. They just go, well, why would God do that? Because our Arrogance, our disrespect, our, our whatever, whatever words we would put to it. I don't even know how we should describe it. We say, there's no, there's no, Lord, thank you that you held that. Thank you that you held the flood that I wrought. But what we do is we say, Lord, how could you have ever let that go? Why did you let why did you let that why did you let that be poured out upon us the lord afflicted them for the multitude of their transgression her children have gone away captive before the foe scripture tells us 490 years the lord withheld judgment that's a long time and but eventually he stops withholding And he lets it come, brings the judgment. Verse 6, from the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. So we see celebration cease. The enemies prosper. Why? Because of her sin. Because of her sin. Her sin is what ultimately brings the things that are going on in her life at this point, at that place in Zion's life. Verse 6, majesty has departed. The daughter of Zion, all your majesty is left. All the beauty is gone. That's another way to define that term. All her beauty is gone. All her leadership runs without strength. Right? They're, 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 they have gone away. They're like, uh, describes the princes of, as, like a deer who finds no pasture. Well, deer finds no pasture, they don't hang out. They've all gone. But what's being described is Lady Zion alone in the street, right? Overcome by her enemies. All leadership gone. 
everything running, weeping, and no one there to comfort her. Her children have gone captive before the foe into the exile. Verse 6, from the daughter of Zion, all the majesty departed. Her princes have become like deer. They fled without strength. Uh, Leadership utterly decimated. Verse 7, Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from days of old. The next thing that happens to her, she's there. (coughs) She remembers all the things she lost. All the things that she's lost. She remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things she had once. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this story. How many broken families split people running in every direction and later on I have one side or the other that come and talk to me and they mourn all the things they lost, all the times they lost. I myself have mourned the 13 years of life that, that were just utter destruction for me for Kathy, for our family. In the time of her affliction, she mourns the things she lost. In the time of her plenty, she couldn't care less. Right? But in the time of her affliction, she is looking back. She's thinking. When people fell into the hand of the foe and there were none to help her, her foes, they gloated over her. They mocked her at her downfall. Now this is where... We will recognize in the lament, and certainly in chapter one, in in God's, and we see this in the book of Job too. I think in in God's uh, economy, as He looks over man and He looks how man responds to other men, and and He in, and I think it matters to God how we respond to those who are hurting. And one of the things that God's going to judge Babylon for is the fact that Babylon rejoiced in the fall of Jerusalem. And God's, in God's mind, he's like, why would you rejoice? How are you better than her? So this, is, this is a real struggle for human beings. How, how are you better than the one who's suffering? Why should the thing that happened to them not have happened to you? And so one of the attitudes that the New Testament calls us to, especially in dealing with hurting people, is the idea that we, we do that in a spirit of meekness, considering ourselves, recognizing that the places could be reversed, right? I could be there. In Romans 9, 10, and 11, right, Paul, looking over the nation of Israel and talking about the fall of the nation of Israel, what does he say? He says, he says, Israel has been cut off, but not permanently. And if she was cut off and you grafted in, he says, be careful, because it's a lot easier to cut you off and graft her back. What is the attitude that God's looking for? Not an attitude of mockery over those who have been cut off, Not an attitude that looks down upon those who have found themselves under judgment or looking down on those who are going through difficulty. Sometimes we can look at people and say, oh, they're just finally getting what they deserve. But that's not the heart of God. The heart of God says, I don't glory in the destruction of the wicked. What does the Bible say? All heaven erupts in rejoicing when one sinner Repents. So what does God want? He wants repentance. Does that mean God won't judge? No, of course God will judge. God's just. And he is right when he does so. And we'll see that even from the words, from the voice of the woman who finds herself in this place. Jerusalem in verse 8. Jerusalem has sinned grievously. So she's going to talk about the wretchedness of her sin. Therefore, she's become filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore, 
Her fall is terrible. The description of the nation is similar to that of the description of a woman who's being ravaged by the enemies of war. Like a woman who's been conquered and is being raped by her assailants. Only this is not an actual woman. This is an illustration of the city of Jerusalem. And the rape that's going to be described is going to deal with the temple. But these are the pictures, right? The, a poet is trying to paint the grief they feel into words. And we can relate that. If I just say uh, Jerusalem's really sorry about the temple being destroyed, that, that, maybe that doesn't carry across. But if I say she's like a woman who's been overcome by her, by those who are chasing her, and as she, as she falls, they see her nakedness. She turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirt. She uh, had no thought of the future, so her fall is terrible She has no comforter. No one is there to bail her out. So she cries out to God. O Lord, behold my affliction. For the enemy has triumphed. In Isaiah 51, over and over again in Lamentations, she cries out, there's no comforter, there's no comforter. For her, the reason there's no comforter is she's rejected the comforter. The comforter has been rejected over and over again. The Lord called her, come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me. No, 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 come to me, no, come to me, no. And at, at some point, the, the, the decisions have brought the consequences. And now she has no comforter. In Isaiah 51 in Isaiah 51, 11 through 16, here's what the Lord said to the nation. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be on their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow. Sighing will flee away for I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of the man who dies or the son of man who is made like grass and have forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth and you fear continually all day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he sets himself to destroy? Where is the wrath of the oppressor? He who is bowed down shall speedily be released. He shall not die go to the pit. Neither shall his bread be lacking. I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea so that the waves roar. The Lord of hosts is my name. I have put my words in your mouth, covered you in the shadow of my hand, establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, you are my people. God, over and over and over, we just went through 52 weeks probably better than a year in Jeremiah where Jeremiah is crying out, people, turn, turn, turn. You don't have to die. You don't have to die. This doesn't have to happen, right? Over and over and over. So much so that you are begging me to stop Jeremiah and go somewhere else. And here we are in Lamentations. Rejoice. (laughs) And as we look at it, we, we see this cry. Listen, Verse 10 continues the word picture in Lamentations. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all her precious things. What's the picture he's describing? The the lady who represents Jerusalem is being defiled by her captors. There's no one to help her. She's crying out, but there is no comforter. For she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you forbid to enter your congregation. So the poet is describing the destruction of the temple, the destruction of the city in in very picturesque terms, right? Terms that aren't hard for us to understand, understand grief, is it? Is it hard for us to understand the tears of Lady Zion as she weeps and cries out for a comforter and none comes? The grief is real, right? 
the circumstance, the way he's describing it, is he's describing it in terms so that, so that we can have compassion. And not just say she's getting what she deserves. Them crazy Jewish people who wouldn't listen. Because that's not how God teaches us to mourn. That's not how God teaches us to have compassion, right? So this is the destruction of her holiness, the destruction of the holiness of Israel, the destruction of the temple, totally destroyed, torn down, all the gold taken, uh, nothing left but rubble. This is how Jeremiah is describing it. The anguish of her people. All her people groan as they search for bread. They made their treasures for food, or they trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, I am despised. Over and over again, the lamenter is going to use these phrases. Look at me, God. Look at me. Look to me. Because now... She is in a place where she wants to lift her eyes to the one who's been calling her name for 40 years. And for those 40 years, she would not respond. But now, in the furnace of affliction, this is the place where people lift their eyes. And I know a lot of times we ask the questions, hard questions. Lord, why? Why don't you stop it? Why don't you make it not happen? You could. You, the one who spoke, let there be light, and light was. It's a little thing for you to stop. But God declares in his word that it's only in the furnace of affliction that people lift their eyes. So God doesn't stop it. And I can tell you from 25 years of experience in very sorrowful places, this is when people lift their eyes. They lift their eyes and they say to the Lord, don't you see me, God? Why would you let this happen to me? And God in heaven's not angry. God in heaven, I think in some ways, rejoices Why? Because I've been trying to get you to talk to me for 40 years, and today you're talking to me. I know you hate me. I know you're filled with hatred. But the important thing is now you're looking to me. And the voice of Jeremiah echoes from his cave. It didn't have to be this way. Right? It it didn't have to be this way. But this is how we, as human beings, function. I mean, come on, in this last year, are you not tired of watching man do horrible things to men? Oh, what other horrible things can we do? What other horrible things can we say to one another? Whatever hateful things can we do? People are getting in fights over you're wearing a mask or you're not wearing a mask. Really? And you're going to tell me that that's all because of a virus? I'm going to tell you the hatred of fellow man was in you all along. It just needed a vehicle to come out. Welcome to the heart of man where God said, the heart of man is deceitful and wicked above all things. And he was not just talking about the other guy. I look in the mirror. I know he's there. So she is lifting her eyes. Lord, see me. Lord, do you see me? I am despised. Verse 12. It is nothing to you. Now now the voice, now the lady Zion is looking at the people who just walked by. Is it nothing to you, all who pass by? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which has been brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. The one thing people can't deal with in their grief is apathy. Don't you care? Are you just going to walk by me like I'm not here? 
This is what she speaks to those, the indifference of others. From on high, he sent fire into my bones. He made it descend. He spread a net for my feet. He made me turn back. He has left me stunned, faint all the day long. The Lord, the sorrow is from God. And the sorrow is because you know in the core of your being that what you're experiencing isn't right. Why do you know that? Why do you hear the stories of these tragedies and say, that's not right? Where does that come from? Just random gas bags bumping into each other? I don't think so. Where does it come from? It's a fingerprint of God in his creation saying, this is not just. Don't we recognize that? So she, she cries out here. She says, this fire is in my bones. He put it there. It's a net he's laid out. The net and the fire, this is not talking about punishment on her. This is talking about the realization that she has as she looks at all the things that have come upon her as a result of her disobedience and pushing away God and going her own way. And now she sees it, and that's from him. This fire that's burning me, that's from God. This net that has tripped my feet, that's, that's from God. My understanding, I can see, I know. In the core of my being, I know. I think that's when in, in horrific tragedy, we are the most real. That's when we're the most real. Nobody's pretending anymore. Nobody's putting on a mask. He sent this fire to my bones. I, I don't have strength. I'm stunned. My transgressions were bound into a yoke. My sin, my hand, they were fastened together. Or by his hand, excuse me, they were fastened together. It's a picture of the Lord putting a yoke on the neck of of the rebellious they were set upon my neck he caused my strength to fail the lord gave me into the hands of those whom i cannot withstand none of that occurred without god's warning none of that occurred without the voice of god saying don't do this don't do this don't do this don't do this don't do now the yoke is placed transgressions around their neck the fall of their the, the failure of strength the Lord has caused me to fall into the hands of those that I can't escape. I can't get away. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. He summoned an assembly against me and crushed my young men. The Lord has trodden in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. We've heard that phrase before, right? The winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God. So she has been trampled in that place, the failure of the mighty and the treading of the winepress. For these things I weep. Now she's, just, she's talking about her grief. For these things I weep, my eyes flow with tears. Same words Jeremiah has used before. My eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me. There's nobody here. Nobody can help me. You can't help anybody who has been wrecked by grief. You Cannot do it. You don't have answers. You don't have words. The only thing you can do is to come alongside and weep beside them. Jeremiah's friends, or Job's friends, were perfect for seven days. Do you know why? Because they didn't say anything. They just mourned beside him. Seven days weeping. The Lord has rejected me so my eyes flow with tears. There's no comforter for me. There's no one who can revive my spirit. My children are desolate for the enemy has prevailed. So here's the picture. Zion, now Jeremiah describing what he's seeing. So 
We've been listening to the terms, right, in terms of the woman, the city of Jerusalem crying like a woman. And now Jeremiah, back to the grotto at the cave, looking over this woman, listen to what he says, Zion stretches out her hands, but there's none to comfort her. The picture that he's painting is like a child crying, weeping, and reaching up her hands for comfort, and none comes. I don't know if there's anything more heartbreaking than that. I don't know. I'm mad as I've ever been at any of my kids. They threw their hands up. I had to go pick them up. <laughs> so this is the picture. She's, there's no one. There's nothing. There's no comfort. There's no end to the pain. She stretches out. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors would be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. Utter destruction, nothing left. Dirty woman abused by those who have conquered her, left in the street with her arms lifted to the heavens crying. Then comes her confession. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. And then she turns her eyes like to the nations, right? To, to others. And she says, but hear all you people. See my suffering, my young women, my young men gone into captivity. I have called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and my elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Look, O oh Lord, for I am in distress. Once again, the call. Look at me, God. Look at me, God. She's crying for the others. Learn, learn, don't. Every parent does this for their own children. Every parent feels this. Every parent says, I don't want my child to do the dumb stuff I did. I don't want you to learn the lessons I learned. I want your heart to be broken like mine was. I don't want you to be abused by the world. I don't want you to be abused by hateful people. I don't want you to be abused, though. I don't want you to make the choices I made. And we waste our breath, don't we? (laughs) Don't do what I've done. Don't do what I've done. Don't do what I've done. So here, this woman, which is a description of the city of Jerusalem, looks to the other nations, right? Don't do what I've done. Everybody who I thought was going to be with me, they weren't with me. My priests, my elders, they had no answers. They died right inside my gates. So look at me, Lord. I'm in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. So she's crying out to God, look at me. I'm in distress What's a, what a better way to describe our grief. Our, my stomach churns. My heart is wrung out. And you're left in that place of honesty to say, man, I've been rebellious against you, God. I'm, 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 my rebellion's against you. I'm mad at you. I'm angry at you. And I've been rebelling against you. And here I am, the fruit of my labor. I have put all the energy that I had into open rebellion against God. Mad at God for what happened in my family, mad at God for whom what my dad did, mad at God for what happened to my mom, mad at God for all the circumstances in my life, mad at God, mad at God, mad at God. And so the fruit of my labor did not make any of that better the only way for me to have made any of that better was to come to this moment sooner ah lord i am rebelling against you where's your hope if it's not in him better high you're going to be the one person that the world's not going to chew up and spit out? Really? You're it? You're the one that's not going to happen to? 
I was so full of anger that I used to boast, if God is on the right, I will go to the left. I wouldn't go to a church. I wouldn't talk to a priest. I wouldn't talk to a preacher. I wouldn't sing a song. I wouldn't look at a Bible. I would do none of that stuff. What was the fruit of all of that? What did it rot for me? Unfaithful husband to a faithful wife. Good job. That's, that's the way to really give it to the man. Oh, no, I've had people tell me this. Well, Jackie, I'm not like you. Oh, you're right. You're probably worse. <laughs> the heart is wicked. Your heart and mine. So listen to what she says to the Lord. She's calling out to him now. They have heard my groaning, yet there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble, and they are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. She says, they're rejoicing over what has happened to me, but they're just like me. How many times have you said these words? If God judged Sodom and Gomorrah and he doesn't judge us, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. How bad do you think they were? However bad they were, there was not 60 million little dead baby bones piled around Sodom and Gomorrah. But there is piled around this great nation. So the one who is destroyed, just like the martyrs under the throne in Revelation, they look at God and they say, how long, O oh Lord? I told you, nobody wants to give God praise for withholding the storm. They just get mad when he lets it go. She here is crying out, Lord, they're, they're in joy, but they're just like me. They are just like me. Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. Lord, hold them accountable for their joy at my destruction. Poem number one. One down, four to go. The only answer God's going to give us is in chapter 3. I don't have anywhere else to go, Lord, but to you. You are my hope. Great is your faithfulness. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time that we can study through the book of Lamentations. And I pray, Lord, that, that we glean something from this. We learn something from the sorrow, the grief of Jeremiah given to us in poetry in this first poem describing uh, uh, Jerusalem as a woman. Now there will be different themes in each one of these poems as, as Jeremiah is trying to put to words the grief that he feels over the destruction of his people. And what we see, Lord, is the way God wants us to look at the judgment of God. Jeremiah does never rejoice over the destruction of the wicked. He mourns. So God, help us have your heart. Give us the boldness we need to be the men and women you're calling us to be in light of a world that is in rebellion against you and open rebellion. May we be like Jeremiah crying from the street corner. Repent. Repent. The Lord is holding back the storm, but he will not hold it back always. Repent. You don't have to die. God, I pray that you would give us that passion that Jeremiah had. That you give us the compassion that you have towards sinners. Give us the boldness to share the truth with those who need to know. 
and God be glorified in the fact that there will be sinners who turn. Because Lord, when you describe that heavenly scene in Revelation chapter 7, you say that the host is innumerable from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Those who are standing with you can't be counted. Those who have turned, those who have called upon your name. Lord, may we be in that number and not the woman crying in the street. The day judgment comes. Lord, I pray that you be magnified in our hearts always as we put our eyes on the only hope we have. In Jesus' name, amen.